podcast by Animal Concepts and the Practical Animal Welfare Science, the PAUSE platform. I'm your host, Sabrina Brando, and this month, February 2021, we take a deep dive into the topic of the five domains models on the PAUSE platform. And today I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Monica Battini, who is a research fellow at the Department of Agricultural and Environmental Sciences in Milan, Italy. Welcome, Monica. Thank you, Sabrina. Hello. I'm very happy to be here. And thank you for this invitation. Very proud of this. Absolutely. We're delighted to have you on the podcast show. And of course, you know, a fellow Italian. So obviously we have been chatting a little bit uh, in Italian because it's always <laughs> lovely to connect uh, to some uh, people in uh, my country as well. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, <laughs> really. Yes. So for those of you uh, listening and wondering who is Dr. Monica Battini, Monica, can you do a short introduction to yourself, please? Yes, yes. And as you said, I'm a research fellow at the University of Milan and where I conduct some research and uh, where I teach uh, animal welfare. And uh, I start studying animal welfare in 2006 and since there, I've been involved in dozens of projects on this topic. And I think that the most important were probably the welfare quality and the AWIN, that are two projects on the, financed by, by the UA, UA, AU, and the, with the aim of developing welfare assessment protocols for all farm evaluation with different target species. And in those projects, I was involved, for example, in the welfare quality in data collection on um, the dairy cows. So in the development, the development of a um, welfare assessment protocol for dairy cows. And uh, in the AWIN, I was a co-author for the welfare assessment protocol on uh, uh, goats. And uh, so now I'm continuing my research that now is mostly focused on animal emotion and communication and indicators of uh, positive welfare. And by the way, I also, I'm also a journalist and I used to disseminate results of scientific research to people or breeders. And the last time also an animal welfare consultant for Animal Equality Italia. Okay, <laughs> wonderful, lots of things there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And so before we move on to any other questions, um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what is the the quality um you know welfare projects that ran in the eu and also what does awin stand for for those listening and don't know that can you elaborate yeah yeah more on that yeah well the welfare quality and the awin project awin means animal welfare indicators uh, are two projects that have been financed financed uh, several years ago in um, in the eu and both projects at the aim to uh, develop this um, welfare assessment protocol, on-farm welfare assessment protocols. The welfare quality for the most uh, um, interested species uh, for an economic value. For example, cattle, uh, broiler, ants, and pigs. And the win for the other species, <laughs> uh, small ruminants, so sheep and goats, um, turkeys, and horses and donkeys. And so in both um, protocols, we uh, developed some um, welfare assessment protocols using uh, animal-based indicators mostly. Uh, in AWIN, we try to only use animal-based indicators, uh, but in general, yes, we use the indicators directly collected to the, to the animals. And yes. This is more or less, <laughs> what is it? They involve a lot of countries across Europe and some other country, um, not in Europe, but that they have some uh, economic interest in uh, trading with uh, Europe 
about obviously the animals and the products of animals. Yes, yes. So we will make sure with the podcast to put some links to the welfare quality and some of the other information so that people who are interested, uh, some of the people you know, in on the welfare platform uh, pause, but also of course people listening that are working for and with farm animals, uh, they might have an interest. So we'll make sure those that those links are here with the podcast. And, you know, can you talk a little bit more about how you came to study animals and animal welfare and maybe some, some nuggets of wisdom for people who have an <laughs> aspiration to get to where you are now? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I started a lot of time ago. Because when I was four, I started observing animals, just ants, bees, snails. So I was so fascinated by their behavior. And growing up, I continued reading books on animals, watching documentaries. I was, I think I was obsessed with animals <laughs> and especially their behavior. So I think that my path was set. <laughs> my idea is this. So I study animal sciences. And I had a fellowship in, uh, at the end in, um, in a school of specialization on applied ecology and animal welfare in Milan. Then uh, an international PhD. And in the end, here I am. I think that the only thing is study a lot and be curious. This is the, uh, the secret in my, in my opinion. And uh, be strong because uh, research is, uh, is a tough area and you need to be very strong and keep your focus on uh, the your goal i think yes absolutely very wisely uh, spoken because of course like you say being curious studying and starting you know your obsession with animals <laughs> into your career which is wonderful but to have that persistence and like you say be strong because it's not going to be an easy path there's a lot of people of course who want to work for animals or want to research and uh, positions are not necessarily many or to get you know to certain results is not necessarily easy so like you say to be strong yeah. and uh, yeah that's wonderful can you talk a little bit because the dissemination of you know information especially today there's a lot of talk also about you know the use of research result or communication and it's wonderful that you worked as a journalist so can you talk a little bit about um, that area yeah yeah the, i think this is a very important area now because we know there is a lot of fake news for example about coronavirus and so the scientific communication must be in my opinion clear and true <laughs> and clear means that uh, people that not, are not used to um, talk about these uh, scientific uh, um, questions uh, should be able to understand in an easy way, like you uh, teach something to a kid, I think. If you cannot uh, explain something to a baby or to, to a child, you are not really able to explain to, to other people because the, the language should be clear enough for people that are not used, but true. So the results should be well explained and uh, you don't have to miss a particular <laughs> just because you want to explain something different, but you must be clear and true with the people. And in, uh, I, I started in 2016 my job as a journalist, a scientific journalist, I, I, I mean, um, because my opinion was exactly this. Mm, we talk a lot about uh, animal welfare, uh, but animal welfare is uh, something that people cannot really understand. Sometimes, in, at least in Italy, is uh, marketing because um, producers use this term animal welfare to say a lot of things to consumers. But animal welfare is a science. So people should be aware of uh, what they are going to buy, for example, because of a scientific, uh, a, a robust, a sound scientific base. And so I started my job as a journalist just to explain this, to be clear, with the people and try to understand, to, to explain 
what animal welfare is and the implication, for example, for farmers when they raise animal in a way or in another way. And uh, I received a lot of, um, I, I, I had a lot of people that say that this is a very useful um, because sometimes farmers can better understand their impacts on animals and for them also for production. That, of course, for farmers is the final goal. And this is my idea. I used to, to write popular articles, but I think that there are a lot of other uh, ways you can disseminate science, um, not just uh, on an article or magazine, but there are a lot of other ways. The important thing is, is, is that, that you are clear and um, true, that you tell the truth to the, to the people. Wonderful. Thank you for elaborating on that. And uh, while today's podcast, you know, there's much to say about, you know, farm animals and consumers and consuming animals and, you know, the welfare of the animals and, you know, people will have different opinions and feelings and thoughts about that. And today's yes. podcast is not going to be about that, but we're yeah. actually going to focus on uh, very important work that you and your colleagues have done on trying to understand the well-being of animals on the farm of different species and you know looking at uh, positive you know welfare indicators and the use of the five domain model so i'm very excited about that and and perhaps in the future we can have another podcast uh, on another topic but uh, let's <laughs> yeah move into you know the importance of good welfare for farm animals in general. Can you talk uh, to us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that the first question could be, what is welfare? And uh, there are several definitions, but the most important things, in my opinion, is that welfare is not an external condition, but an internal one. Uh, I mean, we, we don't provide welfare to the animals. We can provide them the better condition to adapt to the environment and maintain a good status of welfare. Uh, when the efforts of an animal to adapt, to adapt are greater than the results, so then the welfare could be compromised. But when the animals are at ease with their environment, the level of welfare increases. And, but the, what is the, the environment? Can be the structures, of course, but also the, the social environment with other animals or with humans, because humans are an important part of the uh, life for uh, um, farm animals. And why is it so important to have uh, good welfare um, for farm animals? In, uh, in my opinion, for many reasons, that involves animals, but also people, as we said. <laughs> and from an ethical point of view, being animals, sentient beings, any suffering, in my opinion, is not as acceptable. But not just physical suffering, also mental suffering is not acceptable at all. We have a moral duty to raise animals in a humane way. And also animals in poor welfare condition are in general more stressed and they have negative cognitive bias and a pessimistic view. So their life is really um, poor in, in this way. Uh, on the contrary, animals that are in good welfare are in general healthy. And this means that they get sick less. So for example, drugs and especially antibiotics are less needed. And now we know that this is very important for humans food safety. And also if they are healthy, and this is the part for, um, part for farmers, they can produce uh, more, okay. But maybe their career in a farm can be longer. And this can also positively impact the environmental sustainability of the sector, because you don't need to slaughter a lot of animals at the end of the career, and you don't need to raise new animals every year you just keep the same animals for a long time. And this is a very important thing for sustainability and of course, for ethical reason. Thank you, yes, absolutely. And of course, you know, also on the PAUSE platform um, where assistant professor Nayo Beausoleil came to yeah. us 
in a, in a live webinar about, of course, the updated five domains uh, model where, you know, the human animal interaction, as you mentioned, um, is really also central part. And of course, the perception, the experiences of animals, their, you know, mental experiences, as you've so well explained. Can you talk to us a little bit more about, you know, welfare assessment indicators? You know, how do you do welfare assessments on a farm with so many animals? Yeah, <laughs> uh, animal welfare indicators can be classified into, into classes. The, the, the animal welfare indicators, animal-based indicators, sorry, and the resource-based indicators that include both uh, the resources, such as the number of in places or the space availability and management, the number of feed delivery or the frequency of cloud trimming. But in 2012, EFSA, that is the European Food Safety Authority, strongly suggested to use only animal-based indicators to assess welfare, because these indicators are the only ones able to describe the actual welfare status of the animals, that is their ability to adapt to a situation. So what does it mean in practical? <laughs> uh, this means that the same farm can be optimal for an animal but not for an, for an adder maybe. And this means that just measuring the length of a cubicle, for example, or counting the number of feeding places doesn't tell nothing about uh, um, anything about how animals perceive the environment. So now protocols should rely on animal-based indicators and the resource-based indicators can be used to, for example, uh, as, a, as a risk or benefit factors. This shift is very important for welfare assessment protocols because they better describe the welfare, okay? But they are also more difficult to collect because the welfare indicator, the, the animal-based indicators are more difficult than just measuring, measuring the length of a cubicles or the number of feeding plays. Uh, this is an easy task that everyone can do, but if you need to collect data directly on animals, this changes everything. And basically, you need more knowledge. And, uh, and in the class of animal-based indicators, there are also several types of, of them. And some require, require lab analysis. For example, if you need to collect the cortisol for stress, uh, you need a, a lab or instruments just measuring the temperature, the body temperature, or some others require a, a training for behavioral measures, for example, and, and so on. And so when selecting a promising indicator, the first issue you have is related to the feasibility. Indicators, for example, that require many assessors or that are too time consuming are not feasible for on-farm welfare evaluation. Uh, maybe they can be for specific research, but if you need to develop a full protocol, you need the indicators that are feasible to, to collect. Then you also need the indicators that are uh, reliable. That is, for example, that indicator must be reliable between different observers or the assessor himself and consistent over time. Last, but not the least, of course, is the validity since an indicator must measure what is intended to measure. And this requires a long testing phase in some cases. Then you have, okay, you now have your set of indicators and the collection of indicators in a farm should follow a specific order as some indicator, for example, can influence the results of another's. Um, if you handle animals before measuring the human-animal relationship, the results of these uh, later, the, the human-animal relationship, could be affected by previous manipulation of the animals. And at the moment, uh, welfare assessment protocols use a number of indicators that cover the four principles and 12 criteria developed by researchers of the welfare quality project. And that describes the, the complexity of welfare. Um, each indicator count for itself and the results of an indicator cannot compensate the results of another. Um, this, this kind of approach overcame the use of the five freedoms that, that don't really capture the more nuanced knowledge of the biological, biological process. 
Uh, however, in my opinion, a step further is needed to consider the quality of life of farm animals. Yes, so and this is really interesting also. Maybe you can elaborate later a little bit more about what else you think might be necessary. But, uh, and this, um, when we talk about, for example, uh, manipulations, like you said, or, you know, various indicators, that um, they could be, of course, um, different in positive or negative perceptions. So you talk very much about, you know, the if you have a good relationship with the animals, then even, you know, obviously being aware that animals have been handled prior to, for example, a particular test or a particular uh, experimental setting. Um, but if the animals will have a good relationship with the farmer or the researcher, the results will be different than if they don't have a good um, relationship. So, and I think that is so important and so, you know, good to say this specifically also, so that we are clear, because sometimes when, when we talk about welfare, we'll, we'll talk about um, that not being welfare, or, but we're not actually saying what we mean precisely. So I'm glad that you are talking about, you know, the distinct differences. And, um, and can you talk a little bit about what you think are some of the things that we need to do more of before um, we, we continue with some other questions? Yeah, yeah, I think that we should consider the, the quality of life of the animals, and we should also consider that, uh, yes, it's true, we, um, the, the, the welfare assessment protocols were developed, have been developed so far uh, with the absence of suffering in mind. Uh, so the, the thing is, the, the welfare is good if an animal is not lame or if an animal, animal received enough food. But this doesn't necessarily mean that the animal is experiencing a good life, that the animal is enjoying the environment. An animal can be perfectly healthy, and this, I, I, I think, is the minimum we can offer to the animals. We, we shouldn't discuss about it. But its affective state could be negative. It can maybe suffer the impossibility to explore as it lives in a barren environment. Or it receives food every day, of course. But it's not palatable because, yeah, animals can have also preference. So the fact that they, they, they receive food is not enough to say that they are happy to receive that food. And so... Uh, this is something we should uh, improve uh, and include in the assessment of, uh, of the wealth, in the welfare assessment now. Yes, yeah, which really points to something that, um, you know, you mentioned the lack of negative welfare conditions doesn't necessarily mean that the animals are in good welfare. Yeah and have a good quality of life. And I think, you know, we have been talking on the POST platform a lot about especially also quality of life because sometimes in certain settings it's associated with, with end of life uh, decisions. But of course, as you mentioned, quality yeah. of life really, you know, um, and, and Professor Hannah Buchanan-Smith and myself have published a paper on the 24-7 approach to, you know, across lifespan because of course quality of life is anywhere from, you know, being born and even, you know, when the mother is, is pregnant to obviously how you die and yeah. in between. So, and I think it's, it's very important to point to just the lack of negative welfare conditions. Have we actually, you know, optimized? Do, are the animals able to flourish, to thrive in their environments? Which of course, as you have pointed to, is not always uh, very easy on the farms, but how can we do uh, better. And um, so maybe you can talk a little bit to, you know, quality of life and a life worth living, because those are concepts uh, that are talked about quite a bit. What does that mean for those yeah. listening who don't know this concept? Yeah, you said something just just before about the, the lifespan and, and so on. And uh, in, in the quality of life, uh, yes, at one end, we have animals that can have a life not worth living where the euthanasia is the only humane intervention because the negative aspects exceed the positive ones. And so this is not just for production reason, generally 
that we slaughter the farm animals for production or other reason more linked to the production. But in the approach of quality, quality of life, we should also consider the experience of the animals. And so we also have a life that are, are not worth living. And this is very important. But in the quality of life, uh, we can also move along a continuum to the opposite side. That is our um, main, main goal, I think, with a good life that is not a life without challenges. This is very important to, to remember because every good life could have some challenges. Some, some are normal, some are not. But a life where the positive experiences are more than the negative ones and especially can minimize them. For example, we have an animals that receive always the same uh, food, but um, the group is a, is a very good social group. For example, they have a lot of other conspecific. And so maybe, okay, the food is not very good, but we can compensate and minimize that kind of um, negative effect with a positive one that is, for example, the social group. And they can, I think that negative aspect can often be replaced by positive aspects. Uh, for, example, for example, when they have uh, uh, stimulus-rich and safe environments uh, that provide the opportunities for them to engage in behaviors they find rewarding. This is very important. And this, mean, this behavior, for example, may include environment-focused exploration or food acquisition activities. For example, we always have a feeding rack, but why don't we put some food around the, the barn, for example, for day to explore? And as well as other animal-to-animal -animal interactive activities or with human activities, why don't we scratch animals sometimes or just talk to them? Um, and all of these um, behaviors can generate various forms of comfort, pleasures, interest and confidence and uh, a sense of control because animals also need to control their environment. So that's, I think, uh, the, the main uh, aspect of the quality of life, um, thinking about of quality of life. Yes, absolutely. And those are similar discussions, of course, that we are having in zoos and aquariums and sanctuaries and wildlife centers and labs, yeah. anywhere where there's animals. We, we look at not just, like you say, the lifespan, but also what is the quality of the life of the animal. And, um, and you have talked about the complexity, of course, of looking at animal welfare and all these different things that come into play, whether yeah, maybe the food is not so good, but you know, you have a really good uh, social group and there's challenges and you are able to, you know, even though maybe some of them are positive stressors, you know, some of them are negative, but you can, you know, do, you have some choices and control there. You can do something and overcome those challenges. And those are really important because it also, you know, points to, like you said, you know, these, these barns or these areas, they could also be zoo exhibits or any else, right? Yeah. Are they boring? Can you not do things there? Um, what are the affordances of, are there engaging things to do uh, for the animals? And, and, you know, like you say, a, a scratch talking to them, you <laughs> yeah. know, these things that all together really look at um, how, you know, do we, create environments for animals where they can have some level of agency. Uh, and that is different, of course, depending on what systems animals live in, but they are as important to discuss um, in zoos as they are on farms. And of course, you in your studies have used um, part of it because of course you've done many other things, but you have also uh, engaged with the use of the five domains model. And uh, this month is all about uh, the five domains model. So can you talk a little bit to what the model is and how it was used for this particular project? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm not going through a deep description of the five domains model because it, this may require a lot of time. Yeah, However, well, brief, yes. Uh, and, 
examples are yeah like, yeah absolutely yes yeah. Uh, to, to my knowledge um the five domain models were formulated by Mellor and Raid in 1993 and but over these years this model evolved to consider more and more as aspect of welfare and this is important for example the last paper published in 2020 focused on the evaluating uh, with this approach human-animal interaction but going back to the model and how we used uh, this model provides a systematic method for identifying compromising four physical functional domains that are nutrition environment health and behavior and in one very important very important domain that is the mental domain that reflects the animal's overall welfare state understood in terms of its uh, affective experiences both the positives and negatives recently this model was also modified to facilitate additional identific identification in each domain of experiences that animals have uh, which may be accompanied by positive affects that would enhance uh, welfare and uh, yeah we we use this for um, for research for, for classify our uh, positive welfare in indicators And so when you say, um, you know, promising indicators, what, what can you talk a little bit for people like, okay, how do you identify whether or highlight, oh, this might be a promising indicator? Yeah, there, there are um, several um, items that you can consider. For example, uh, you can judge the feasibility of this indicator because sometimes indicators uh, um, are tested in experimental condition, but they don't necessarily apply to a commercial condition. So this is the first question, if it is uh, feasible and then also valid to be collected uh, on farm. And in many cases, you also need to test again, for example, uh, um, I'm thinking about um, we are uh, we, we developed a welfare assessment protocol for dairy goats uh, in intensive systems with the AWIN project, as I told you at, at the beginning uh, of this talk. And um, we are trying to adapt these um, protocols to extensive uh, conditions, so to, to goats bred in, um, in extensive conditions. But of course, the same indicators cannot necessarily adapt to other conditions. So the, the things of the promising indicator is the, the, the aim that you have of uh, assessment and how you can reach this aim. So sometimes you, you find a very good uh, indicators, but you need a lot of time or many assessors to collect. So this is not promising. In other cases, you just need to refine something, maybe use a video recording instead of a direct observation, for example. So this is more or less the idea of uh, a promising indicators to be included in a welfare assessment protocols. Yes, yes. And these are really important uh, for anybody who wants to do studies, because sometimes maybe we have certain wishes or aims or hopes for certain things, but we have to look, you know, is this even possible? Um, and, uh, and, or maybe it's not possible now, how, what can we do now? Maybe what could we do later? So um, can you talk yeah. to us a little bit about what, you know, positive welfare, um, you know, means for animals, maybe some of the indicators, you know, focusing yeah. on into that and the species that you studied, because we heard a little bit already, but maybe you can uh, tell us more about that section of your study. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that we could describe the positive welfare in, in a way such as uh, if an animal is fully engaged in exploring or food gathering in a stimulus-rich environment and interacts pleasantly with other animals in a social group, then we can say that the welfare is good, the positive welfare, is, it's positive welfare state, we can talk about positive welfare state. And at the same time, it is important to remember that animal welfare thinking is increasingly emphasizing the promotion of these uh, positive states. And there is a need for existing assessment frameworks to accommodate this shift in emphasis. This is very important, consumer-esque. And uh, also researchers know 
that is very important to consider the positive welfare for animals because we have standard level that is the level that we standard welfare level that is the level we can uh, we, we we always assessed but we should also uh, include something more and uh, we we wrote a review on this topic and uh, we used the five domains model to list some aspects that can be used to develop protocols so with the with the idea of developing uh, a protocols um, that include also the assessment of positive welfare and just to give some example, we, we found in some interesting things. For example, in the domain of nutrition, uh, we know that this domain implies aspects of choice and variety of food with pleasant smell, taste, taste and texture. Pleasures associated with active engagement and exploration of the environment during foraging. And this is important. We, we, we should deliver uh, some interesting food to, to the animals. In this case, uh, the radio was um, on ruminants. And um, we should use uh, uh, different food. And as I told you before, maybe um, put some food around the barn uh, as they can just uh, look uh, for uh, um, searching this food. Uh, or for example, change. Sometimes also changing the routine is nice because um, the routine is important as a sense of control of the environment, of course, but just changing half an hour, uh, an hour, the time when you deliver the food is something new. And it is a challenge for the animals, but it's a good challenge, something that in, if they were free, in free range, they will experience they don't have in wild animals don't have food every time at the same time <laughs> every day at the same time so this sort of change little bit change of the routine could be beneficial in terms of welfare for the animals uh, for domestic ruminants another important important and interesting aspect is the behavioral synchronization and during feeding and grazing because it allows the animals to graze simultaneously and to share the vigilance from predators with other conspecifics. And so what does it mean this in farms? That you should provide the animals with at least 10% more feeding places than the, 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 the feeding rack, than the number of, uh, of animals, just to uh, allow them to um, feed at the same time and not less or the same number of feeding places. And so they can be synchronous during, during the, the feed, the, the, feeding, the feeding moment. And this is a, a positive welfare for them to, to, to allow this, uh, this behavioral uh, need. And then we also find something interesting, I think, uh, about the environment. Um, for example, how the environment can affect the resting behavior. Cows prefer to rest in sternal recumbency with the head tucked uh, against the flank or in lateral recumbency, possibly with outstretched legs. But this is really expressed on farm as there is not sufficient room and cubicles for this posture. So they generally spend all the life with a posture that is not uh, natural and not comfortable, for example. Uh, we had some difficulty in finding domain to assess, um, uh, find indicator to assess uh, health, for example, because uh, positive uh, indicators for health are not so much. But we found uh, a vigor score for uh, lens that can measure their vitality. Uh, we found a lot of behaviors that can be used for assessing positive welfare. For example, play. And uh, play, in my opinion, is very interesting because it is greatly expressed by young animals and less by adults. But some species, for example, goats, play, play even when adults, if the environment is safe or needs are satisfied, for example. Uh, however, play can also have a rebound effect. Cows, for example, released at pasture after winter, winter housing can play 
but this is a sign of relief from a poorer condition and not a positive welfare itself. And uh, last domain is the mental state that can be measured with uh, many indicators such as vocalization, ear posture, eye aperture, just give you some uh, example. And uh, for example, the changes in eye aperture can be a dynamic indicator of emotional states with a lot of percentages of um, visible white indicating satisfaction and low arousal. However, the percentage of eye white in dairy cows may also increase in response to a positive stimulus, presumed to be particularly excited, for example, the provision of a concentrate. So that's all. And our, our finding is uh, uh, interesting and uh, we could talk uh, for a lot of time, I think. Yes, yeah, and I think it's really great that you're making these distinctions also that like you talk about the cows coming out, you know, after the winter, you know, and being in areas where they cannot engage in these, for example, these two resting uh, poses that you talked about because of space uh, limitations. And yeah. therefore, you know, it looks amazing. And we all know these videos, especially some of them make the news, right? Because they yeah. are doing all these, you know, jumping and running behaviors. Yeah. People think it's fabulous. But like you say, it's actually more of a, you know, expression of it could, of course, still be a mix of like, yay, I'm outside. And yeah. this. But at the same time, as you say, we have to be cognizant of the fact that for a long time, they weren't able to do all kinds of different things. So, um, and to, and the details, you know, like we often say, the devil is in the details. Uh, and that the, the different behaviors outwardly can have different um, experiences, even though they maybe look the same. Uh, so we have to, you know, therefore, like you spoke about already so much also in the podcast, combining so many different aspects to see uh, what uh, may be the experiences of the animals and the importance also of, you know, if we are changing some of the routine or if we are providing some sort of stimulation or foraging and browsing, uh, that we go back and look at uh, is what we think uh, you know, the care that we provide, is this indeed also, you know, from the animal-based, uh, indeed uh, positive? Is this, um, you know, taking uh, us to what we would wish for the animals? So always this, this uh, aspect of care versus, you know, how the animals are experiencing it. So, and all the different aspects, like you talked about eye white and, you know, like you say, there's so many different things that we could go back on. <laughs> and one of the things that, that I enjoyed from your paper was, you know, um, the differences between, you know, the goats, you talked a little bit about how they play also if they're adults, when they're safe, can you talk a little bit more about the, the goats kids, uh, but also for example, between goats um, and the dairy goats? Yeah, yeah, it's true that we don't have much research on uh, goat kids, and uh, and but probably we should investigate more. Maybe the separation from others and from as done for calves and and lambs. The the inter interesting things for goats is that yes, they play, they play a lot, um, and we um, probably should consider more indicators related to their pleasure to go on platform for example, and the possibility to climb. And another interesting aspect, in my opinion, for, for goats, adult goats, is the, the benefit to design an elevating feeding trough to allow them to feed on a bipedal stance. In, in general, goats are really curious and love chewing a lot of um, substrate, everything. <laughs> I mean, so if you just provide them with a safe, substrate is better, such as um, uh, wooden chips uh, or, uh, or in general rocks where they can go, go up. Uh, I was in, uh, in Germany some years ago and I met um, a farmer. He was uh, really, uh, he, he bred goats for 25 or 30 years, a lot of time. And he had a lot of experience, but especially he, he loved the idea to support the, the need, the behavioral need of goats. And he built a, 
a farm that was incredible, a very complex barn, because another thing is that we generally have barns that are a rectangular shape, that have a rectangular shape and stop. But he created this complex barn with um, a lot of uh, angle and um, possibility to move and change the, the, the way for, for goats. And then he put a lot of rocks, see, to be in the mountain. And they just climb uh, every, every day, every time, uh, with every kind of uh, weather condition. Uh, they were really, really happy. And, and so, yes, you can say they play and they explore. We don't need necessarily adult animals that play, but we need animals that explore. Of course, the, the young animals uh, play a lot. They just uh, jump. The, the, the goat kids jump, jump uh, along the wall, jump uh, in the middle of the pen, junk, jump on, a, on another goat. And uh, so, yes, this is a, obviously a, a positive indicator for them, but play is uh, more common in, um, in young animals. We should investigate other indicators of, um, of positive welfare for, uh, for young animals. But yeah. I think the goats are really funny. <laughs> yeah, we all have seen and adore the baby goats, of course, young goats, like you say, they jump on everybody and on everything. And um, yes, and of course, you know, like you talk about, again, the whole range from understanding negative to positive experiences of animals in across their life. Um, so that's really, and I really love that you told the story of the farmer in Germany, because it's so much points to, um, you know, change from within and change from uh, through action yeah. by somebody who really, you know, paid attention, not to obviously selling and, and, and all the other things that come with production of farm animals, but really paying attention to the animals, what their needs are, what their preferences are, and putting so much effort in into building a complex barn and an out area. And, and those are really inspiring stories uh, that we can all learn from, uh, which then combined with research can hopefully then also help in policy and in changes for animals um, everywhere. So I, I'm really glad you told that story as well as your research and of course we all love animal stories and personal stories so in conclusion of this podcast on your work on identifying positive welfare indicators for ruminants in uh, studying farm animals using the five domains do you have like an animal story or a personal story to end on uh, that you're happy to share with us <laughs> uh really i i'm i don't know because um uh, I think that um, what uh, my experience is uh, is nice because uh, I yes I work with the, the aim of um, improve the welfare of animals, but at the same time uh, I always consider also farmer stories, and that's very important to talk with um, with people and understand they, their needs and the way they, they work in, in such a way. And uh, so the good thing is to find uh, um, a way for me to explain the importance of animal welfare. And that's they, when people start to, uh, to understand your point and maybe sometimes they try your suggestion uh, then you you see a changes, and this is very important in in, in my opinion. Uh, since they are farm animals, so the the, the, the human is the fundamental in their life. A, an important thing is to consider absolutely the animals, and never forget that uh, we want them to have uh, a life worth living, and a good life. Uh, but there, that there are also farmers, and so when you can find um, a way to talk to them and explain uh, why animal welfare 
is so important, then you see the results. And this is very satisfying in my, in my opinion. So very important is to create a, a relationship also with farmer, because this is the way you can really improve. You can have a lot of wonderful research, but if in the end you cannot uh, explain farmers how to improve the welfare of the animals, your research, your, your research is good, but uh, it's not useful. So I don't have really one story I want to, to talk about, but uh, I think it's beautiful when you can study the animals, but you can also have a close relationship with uh, farmers and so on, and see they grow up with a new idea of animal welfare. This is the the most uh, rewarding is <laughs> talking about animals things, I think. Wonderful, yes. I think that is a wonderful, wonderful story to end on because for us to affect change, it's all about human behavior change, right? And you talked about the importance of like your work as a scientific journalist, as a researcher, to talk about, you know, considering the animals, the well-being of the animals, to really go, you know, beyond the negative to the positive. Like, how can we, you know, have animals, give them, you know, opportunities and allow for them to have choices and control and safety. And, you know, again, really looking at how can we create good relationships between researchers, between people, farmers and others who are working with animals and, and consumers and all that together. So I, I'm really glad you shared these stories with us. So thank you so much, Monica, for coming onto the podcast. And I look forward uh, to hearing more of your work and your research. Thank you. Thank you, Sabrina. So well-being for you and your animals is too important not to get right. And at Animal Concepts, we help you care for animals and of course, for yourself. So you can be at your best to achieve excellence in animal care and welfare. The PAWS platform is the first online platform combining human and animal well-being science and practice because it's all about action as well, building bridges. So where you can get the education and tools you need so you and the animals can flourish. So follow the link in the podcast description to become a pause member today.